Don't have time for that. It's a Saturday for me, and I've got fucking things to do. Welcome <laughs> to Cold War episode mm-hmm. 100. Nice. Ray. We Bubs, made it. Bubble Boy. Yeah. Yeah. We, <laughs> we made it, and we barely started. We're back in 1944. We're going back. Right. Uh, I feel like we're not making a great deal of uh, rapid progress. I think starting yeah. to think the the mean jokes that Tony <laughs> Coniston makes about us is right. are actually true. Actually, yeah. have some basis in fact. Did did we ever claim progress? I, I don't think that's one of our uh, slogans. No, a good time. No, dick jokes. Dick jokes and a good dick and a jokes. Good time. Yeah. yeah. But not 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 r- rapidity. <laughs> not that we're fast. Um, we're not fast. Happy good. Thanksgiving. No, thank happy you. Thanksgiving, Ray. Uh, thank did you. you have a nice Thanksgiving? Uh, no, I was with family, so no. But the food was okay. So what are you going to do next year? I might just go to Shoney's or, or get Chinese. I, I'm not sure. Um, it was okay. And what are you thankful for, Ray? Ah, uh, very little at the moment. Um, I'm thankful for for middle age. Uh, uh, having not really achieved anything in my life, um, but I'm still my grandfather's favorite. So, fuck it all. I'm, I'm doing. I'm doing pretty good. I'm thankful for that. I don't have to achieve anything because I'm the family favorite. So I've been coasting on that for decades. Wow, yeah. if you're the family favourite, yeah. I'd hate to see the rest of the family. <laughs> hey, so if it was Thanksgiving you know, for you, what would you be thankful for? Well, I, I am thankful for myself, really. Um, <laughs> I, you know, in, in the spirit of your president, um, I'm thankful for all of the things, right. I, the good things I have done sure. for the world. Yeah. Thankful for me, basically, as ever, I, I think, you know, I'm just, uh, yeah. as everyone should be, I'm thankful for all of the things that I have done for everybody. All of the right. accomplishments, the massive, incredible yeah. accomplishments yeah. that I have achieved in my administration of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am grateful for the people who have just been abusing yeah. me for the last week, the listeners. On Facebook, what? iTunes reviews. No, um, what happened? Oh, tell me. I've been I've been copying a ton of shit uh, from listeners, uh, supposedly fans. They always say I was a fan of your podcast until you said something I disagreed with. Now, fuck you, sir. Um, <laughs> oh my god! You have somebody, to get it right 100% somebody, of the time. yeah. So, somebody left a review um, on the Cold War iTunes. That basically called me a racist. No, you hate everybody equally. That is the exact opposite of a racist. <laughs> uh, but they said they said you know when I refer to um, minorities on the show, I say all oh, the darkies did this, right. or the, the you know I don't know who else I <laughs> what other term <laughs> I use. The Jews, the darkies. They say yeah, he jokes around. Yeah. Pretending that it's like in the spirit of the time that he's talking about, but really mm. he's just a racist. He's just covering up um, his own racism. I was like, really, yeah, really. No. That's what. That's what you really that's think. What you got out of that? Yeah. 
But yeah, yeah, that's no. what you got out of that. Me. Right. The guy. So I'm either, yeah. I either get called lefty communist scum. Right. Uh, libtard or racist? <laughs> you a thousand, my friend. Mm, okay. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I yeah. made, I posted some stuff on Facebook about uh, Australia's gun laws. Oh, did I cop some shit from people? How dare yeah. you, sir, mention your own country's gun laws? I am offended <laughs> as an American. I am offended that you would... Somebody even said, I love it when foreigners talk about blah, blah, blah. Like, hey, I'm talking about my own fucking country's gun right. laws. Of which you are not uh, a foreigner. For a start. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Although I feel like one sometimes. <laughs> so it's gotten to the point where you can't talk about anything ever. Describe yeah. anyone. Just stick to history. Yeah. On March 9th, 1945. Yeah, is that what we're supposed to do from now on? Well, it's kind of end up sounding like your World War II show, which, let's be honest, far more popular and successful than anything you and I do together. So, so maybe <laughs> we're going to start doing maybe there's a lesson in there. Extra voices yeah. from now on. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck it. No, uh, look, I, folks, I don't have fun until I talk to you. You're my fun, Cam. You're my you're my happy place. Mm. Fuck those people. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks. Buddy. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, for the for the people out there listening, still listening, who get offended by things that I say, I'm not sorry. Um, no. Listen, listen, yeah. listen. This is how the real world works. There are some things that you might hear in your life that you disagree yeah. with. Just fucking deal Roll with, with it, it, baby. Go. Yeah, like okay, yeah. Uh, I disagree with that, but you know. Cam's pretty smart. He's obviously read a lot of books. Maybe maybe he's <laughs> onto something. Maybe I should ask questions. I don't know. Maybe I should say that's an interesting perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Um, huh. Tell what me more. About it? Yeah, huh. but no. Yeah, let, maybe I should engage him. <laughs> in, if I disagree right. with something he says and I care about it, maybe I should engage him, shoot him an email, yeah. DM him on Facebook, engage him in an intelligent, rational right. conversation about the topic yeah. In, in in good humor and and with with good intentions, and he'll probably go. Hey, that's a good question, yeah. Alan. <laughs> um, I'd be happy to have that conversation with you because he's a reasonable human right. being, and 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 he obviously enjoys a chat, and yeah. um, he's not a Agree cunt. To disagree. So yeah, yeah. Or, yeah. or or just just have, have a reasonable exactly. conversation instead of saying don't talk about politics. That I guess, that I disagree. How with. dare yeah. you say something that I disagree with, sir? If I had a glove, I'm gonna I'd slap you. Yeah. Get gonna get my gun <laughs> and stand up for my right to not have to hear things that oh. I disagree with. And it is the holidays, so even more intolerance <laughs> slapped on top of the holidays. That that's all I need. That is all I I had to deal with family. Uh, that's all I need. I constantly get. Messages for people. Like, oh, how much have you had to drink, really, right now? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we're at a, we're episode one hundred, and um, we're we're gonna for the next few episodes, we're still talking about Indochina, French Indochina, um, and it's all because we're trying to lead up to the first Indochina War, mm-hmm. which which of course will then turn into the Vietnam War. And, you know, I think this being a show about the Cold War, eh, 
we're justified in yeah. taking our fucking time. Yeah, is that okay, Tony? To explain. Right. Yeah, is that all right, Tony? <laughs> Emperor Tony? <It's... laughs> Tony the first? <laughs> uh, Tony probably gave up listening to this show 100 episodes ago. 99 episodes ago. He's going, oh, fuck these guys. <laughs> Episode 12 of Yalta. Yeah. Halfway through Yalta, he's like, yeah, oh, fuck <laughs> these guys. Look, Tony's old. I, yeah. I get it. He's yeah. old. He's your age. Hey. He's, uh... <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So uh, we're in 1944, as I said. Now, when we finished last time, Ho Chi Minh was making his way down to the Red River Delta in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. The Japanese have just chased the French out of Vietnam uh, you know, they've had a coup. Right. They basically said to the French, "Listen, uh, quite honestly, um, just a, we're cutting out the middleman. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's pain, pain in the ass. We we tell you something, then we have to wait for you to do it. We'll just do it ourselves. Yeah. Thank you very much yeah. for all of your efforts. Now fuck off. Um, your services are no longer required. <laughs> and the French went. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> we we, we do whatever you Oh, I am as what you say. Yeah, yeah. So March yeah. 9th, they uh, the Japanese uh, took over, uh, and not to jump ahead, but I just, but again, and and we we shouldn't be too subtle about this. But Ho is absolutely brilliant. He has thought things through, and like you said last a couple of uh, episodes ago, this guy's had decades to think about this. Even the Japanese taking over, which generally you could view as as just another bad thing because it's another enemy that's in your country. He even turns that or tries to turn that to his advantage by saying to the Americans, look, this is the reason why your allied forces should come through Indochina because now they're here. So again, anything he can do to get hopefully non-French allied troops into Indochina is all to the good for him. And he's just, he's taking every um, incident, good or bad, and trying to turn it to his advantage. Now, you're the World War II expert. Something I just thought about, yeah. and uh, um, so I haven't done any background on it, but uh, how did the Germans feel about this coup? Obviously, Germany had taken control of France at this stage. Um, so what is French colonial territory is yeah. effectively German colonial territory. Right. How, did, how did Hitler feel about the fact that uh, the Japanese would have just taken some of... France's territory. Sure. Do you know? Well, uh, first I want to qualify this by saying up until the point of Pearl Harbor, I've done a lot of reading. So, But from what I remember, um, YouTube and uh, Wikipedia, what I remember, Hitler was pretty much okay with it because, again, it was the Japanese Empire causing trouble in the Pacific. That would get the Americans' attention and, to a degree, the British because of their position possessions, which would allow him further to focus on Soviet Russia, um, and tried it to, to uh, solidify Europe. So overall, as far as I remember, he was okay with it because it would be a distraction for the industrial might that was the United States. Hmm. He's like, listen. On one hand, not happy that you're taking my That's shit. Right. On the other hand, yeah. we'll work it out. We'll work it out later. Yeah. Yeah. Help me win the war, and we'll, we'll, we'll sort it exactly. out. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe we'll go to war. Um, now, the Ho, Ho and the ICP uh, are now getting ready to make their move. Surprisingly, um, though, bro, the books talk about there being a post-coup euphoria right. in Vietnam that they had to deal with. Apparently, the Vietnamese hated the French so much, 
they were happy to see them replaced with the Japanese. Anybody could have come in at this point and it would have been okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, that's that's hard that's to hatred. imagine. That is hatred. Yeah. That's how bad the French treated the yes. Vietnamese, is they were happy to have the Japanese yeah. come in. Yeah. Um, Look, I know you're going to you know, take all our food, you're going to take all our money, and you're going to do whatever, but we're just glad that French people aren't currently doing it. High five, fist bump. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think in the West, um, we, we have been indoctrinated mm-hmm. and, and, and you know, probably uh, uh, correctly so, that the Japanese were brutal right. in the early part of the 20th century. Um, the mi- Japanese military were brutal. And, you know, particularly in Australia, we, we grow up uh, with stories of the Hanoi Hilton, prisoner of war camps and the brutal treatment of Australian uh, prisoners right. in those places. Um, so, whereas we think of the French as basically Pepe Le Pew, so uh, we're like, come on, he's, he's a skunk and he's got a cute accent. Yeah. How bad could Probably he possibly lover. be? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. well, if we, if we get away, if you deal with the smell. Um, <laughs> um, but, you know, the Vietnamese um, were like, listen, we don't care what you do to us right. as long as you don't have a French right. accent. Go to town, whatever. Yeah. So for for Ho and the ICP, um, this this was a bit of a challenge. People were like, oh, don't talk to us about revolution. We're happy. The French are gone. Everything is going to be great from here on in. Everything's going to be fabulous. Um, So, yeah, they had to deal with that. Now, they realised, Ho realised at this point, that the Japanese were probably going to lose the war, Mm -hmm. which... Is obviously a great thing for Vietnam for the ICP. Right. <clears throat> the, the the French have been kicked out by the Japanese. Japanese are probably going to lose, um, and so then we will have our opportunity finally for liberating our people. In October 1944, he wrote a document called "Letter to All Our Compatriots." Mm. And he talked about that they had the opportunity for people's liberation only a year or a year and a half from that point in time. He says, the time approaches, we must act quickly. And the first step in that was, it was mostly propaganda at this stage, mostly starting to get the people thinking about independence, liberation. The first thing that they do is introduce the Viet Minh flag, Mm -hmm. which... People have probably seen gold uh, star in a in a red flag, right. and the doctrine, the Viet Minh doctrine uh, to the people. So um, that's what they're doing at this stage. Not really a lot of military engagement yet. Uh, the initial point is just start to get the people to think about. Look, the timing is right. We need to get ready. Right. Well, uh, you make a good point because this is not a slam dunk by any means. All this is is an opportunity and a very small one at that because everybody knows, and certainly Ho, who's who's been in this business for decades, he knows the French are going to come flying back in. So this is nothing more than an opportunity. We're going to take this time. We're going to build our groundwork. And like you said, I can't remember how long the French have been there, but we have to actually start getting the message out to 
to change people's mindsets. I mean, yeah, you can always wave the flag and go, yeah, one day it would be great to be free. No, this is our opportunity. It takes a certain amount of courage. It takes a certain amount of daring. But the point is you have to change their mindsets to say this is actually an achievable goal and we need your help. And the time is coming soon and there's going to be fighting involved. There's going to be killing. There's going to be a lot of things. But if we want our freedom, this is what we have to do. And again, uh, this is just something that they have to build up because you can't just snap your fingers and go, okay, everybody, go fight. Because they're going to go, well, who in the fuck are you? You have to get your name out there. You have to use your propaganda. And you have to win these people over to your side by explaining exactly what your goals are. And that's what they're doing now. Hmm. Yeah, building building awareness. Yeah. Um, building a brand. And, and getting ready for an uprising, but when the time is right. Ho was mm-hmm. all about timing. You gotta, you gotta, yeah. you gotta pick your moment carefully. Don't, don't just rush <clears throat> in there. <clears throat> You'll get crushed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta pick it, pick, pick your time right. carefully. It's like I said to you in Vegas. Wait right. till the wives are shopping. <laughs> that that's, is when. Yeah, that's when you. Make we it. have. Yeah. That's when we have our moment. Because um, <clears throat> he knew at this stage, as I said before, that the Japanese were going to be defeated at yeah. some point. That's what they're waiting for. When the Japanese have been defeated by the Allies, that's when we're going to have our chance to uh, leverage the the, 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 the the window of opportunity, basically. And, if, and I just find it interesting, just real quick, that the frame around this window of opportunity it's chaos, it's instability, it's, it's devastation. So because we know that the Viet, the, uh, Viet Minh had, could never on their own push the Japanese out, they could never push the French out, but the situation has to be so overwhelmingly bad for even those very powerful nations to create this opportunity. So who knows it's not him, it's not that everybody loves him or whatever, he, he just has an opportunity to get his message across because things are so bad, they're going to have to redo everything in this country and maybe, just maybe, they can do it with his party at the top when the country's being remade after the war. Well, at this stage, most Vietnamese people don't know who he is, exactly. never heard of him. They probably He's don't even know his, his real name. name. Exactly. Yes, yeah, <laughs> changed his name 15 times. Um, and... And, uh, he, like, the Viet Minh at this stage are probably in the hundreds. He is probably has hundreds of guys because yeah. they, they merged a few different, as we said, or the ICP, you know, they moved to, merged a few different parties together. They, they, they created this alliance of um, some, some of the revolutionary parties. But still, he, he doesn't have 100,000 guys. He's got a handful Absolutely. of guys, really, yeah. to do anything with. Um, and one of his plans was to be the force that greeted the Allies when they came to kick out the Japanese. Mm-hmm. And so, as you mentioned, he started to f- try and figure out how he can uh, uh, acquaint himself with the Americans. Right. Um, and uh, there was an incident in, in late 1944, November 11th, 1944, uh, uh, an American reconnaissance plane piloted by a guy called Rudolf Shaw, had some engine trouble while it was flying over the border of Vietnam and China. Mm -hmm. He had to parachute out of the plane. French authorities uh, spotted him, come down, sent out patrols to get him, but which obviously wouldn't have been good because this is the the, the being controlled by the Japanese still at this stage. 
uh, and the Nazis. Right. Um, so the French aren't friendly. The Vichy French aren't friendly to the Americans. But members of uh, a local Viet Minh unit got to him first and decided to deliver him to Ho. Nice. Propaganda coup, coup of, the, of, the, of the year, really. Uh, was that a propaganda well, you, coup? You're going to give it to Ho. You're going to give him to Ho. And Ho is trying to establish, like you just said a second ago, I want to be here, hopefully in a position of power, and shake the Allies' hand when they come. And what better to start that conversation to get me in that, to that position than a gift? One of their own people back, hopefully nice and safe and sound. They will love me for it. And it's, and it's, it's the ultimate calling card when you're going to greet someone who's superior to you. One of their own. Yeah, but how's that propaganda? Well, okay, I, I used the wrong word, so don't ever correct me again. But it's a wonderful opportunity yeah. him, for him to make do contact. You, do, you want to, do, you want to ta- do you want to take a minute and just no. get a dictionary and no, look up it. propaganda? No, just so no, I'm not going to do it. No? I'm not going to do it. Just keep using it. Just keep, just <laughs> no, keep using it incorrectly. I retract, hoping, retract the work. Just hoping, I don't have to take this. This is Friday just, night for me. I shouldn't just, even be here. Just hope, just hope that nobody calls you. <laughs> on it, you just just throw it, just throw in random words and hope you get away with it, because you're 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 the favourite in the family, so you've gotten away with it this far. <laughs> you're a bubble boy; everyone feels sorry for you. Hey, oh, don't I'm be don't be mean to the bubble exactly. boy. Just let him just let him use exactly. just let him use whatever now, words he wants. For, it doesn't matter for for the people out there. Was, do not write. You were a teacher. <laughs> how, how the fuck were you a teacher of children? This explains a lot. <laughs> you were actually teaching people, kids, in Virginia. Kids, kids are walking around Virginia now, going. <laughs> using the word oh, that's propaganda. a nice, that's a nice, that's a nice propaganda car. They're like, what? Yeah, it's propaganda car. Do you know what? Don't, you, you are don't, eating up valuable no. education time, podcasting time here, just to kick me, just because I'm out of my bubble, just for a moment, just to do the show. You kick me while I'm out of my bubble, knowing I got to go back in. Anyway. So they got him and they delivered him to Ho. Yeah. Now, uh, it took it took uh, a month for them to walk this guy Damn. to where Ho was, right. over mountains, through jungle trails. Uber, huh? They don't speak English. He doesn't speak Vietnamese. Right. Um, apparently, uh, according to his own account, Shaw's own account, the only. Uh, Way they communicated when they first got to him, he said, Viet Minh, Viet Minh. And they said, America, Roosevelt. Hey, that's all you need, baby. And that was it. Yeah. Yeah. Don't stab me. Don't shoot so me. So right. he obviously uh, already at this stage knew who the Viet Minh were. Right. Uh, so there must have been a certain amount of intelligence getting out about these guys, mm. getting back to the Americans by November 44. Um, but when he gets to Ho's headquarters, Pac Bo, this is um, the cave that we right. mentioned in an earlier episode where he set up just across the border from China. Um, Ho greeted him in English. How do you do, pilot? Where are you from? Um, sure. Because remember, Ho spoke like 75 different languages <laughs> at this stage. He's Cleopatra. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'd like to be up there with Cleopatra. <laughs> up, up, up in Cleopatra. Anyway, uh, don't get me distracted. Um, Shaw said he was so excited that he gave Ho a big hug and said to him, later he said to him, when I heard your voice, I felt as if I were hearing the voice of my father 
in the United States. Wow. So despite the fact that Woodrow Wilson had ignored Ho's attempts to get the League of Nations or the United States to address the issue of French uh, Vietnamese independence from the French back mm-hmm. in 1919, Ho is still hopeful. Yeah. He's hopeful Ho. Ho, <laughs> hopeful Ho, they called him. Um, at this stage that the Americans are going right. to come to his aid, he'd probably heard about FDR's position on Indochina, oh. probably got back to him. Or that The Atlantic um, Charter at least, yeah. Yeah, that, and also the fact that he'd been saying "fuck to Gaul." Right. Um, let's let's not give let let's let's not give him back Indochina. He's he's an annoying, smelly. Uh, now they're going to call it me racist against the French. Um, uh, FDR had said France has milked the land for one hundred years. The people of Indochina are entitled to something better than that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this has probably got back to Ho, and he's thinking. You know, I, I can have a good relationship with the Americans. We can work together. They believe in freedom. He's obviously been to the United States. He saw the uh, the the way they treated the African American population. Yeah. Um, but he's saying, "Hey, listen, they're, they're our best bet to get the Americans on our side if we want independence. So let's do everything we can to get on their good side." Yeah. Well, the the other part of that, if I could look at it from a slightly different point of view, I mean, you're absolutely right. He has to have a, a, a strong power behind him. Years ago, at the end of World War One, he tried he tried uh, Wilson. Uh, he also tried the communist, the French communist in Paris. He tried the British, uh, the Soviet Union when he was there for for a time. So no, everybody's patting him on the back saying, I wish you luck, buddy, but no one's actually helping him. So he's kind of through process of elimination. He only has the United States left. And so like you said, he's going to seek this opportunity. He's going to maximize it. He's going to put his best foot forward with the Americans because in some ways it's, it's this is his last opportunity. And this is a great opportunity with the war winding down. So he's just trying to take all of his, all of that he's learned over the years with all of this travel Bring it, bring it to the fore, and meet the Americans, and give them this guy back, and go. Hopefully, this will work because I am running out of options fast. And the guy's like fifty something, so oh my god, it's time for him to you know get this going. Yeah, I mean the Soviets have kind of got their hands full. Yeah, that's um, true. Right that's now, true. Um, Mao is still fighting a civil war. Right. Um, he doesn't have people to turn to. Right. Um, so he's he's hoping the Americans, even though they're they're on the other side of the political divide, the socioeconomic mm-hmm. divide, the enemies of my enemies are my friends. That's even right. though they're not the enemies of the French, really. Uh, aren't, aren't we all the enemies of the French? <laughs> yeah. Come on, dude. We 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 had a great time in France. What are you talking we about? Did. The French people were very nice to us. They absolutely Paris, every every single Ajaxio. one was nice. Absolutely, absolutely. Snooty, but in a in a nice way. <laughs> right. Yeah. Approachable, approachably snooty. Yeah, approachably snooty. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, uh, another thing that was going on in Vietnam at the time was the famine of nineteen forty four, forty five. I don't know how aware people are of this, um, but there was a huge famine that was going on, uh, and this is something that sort of played into Ho's uh, favour. Um, horrible thing, but it, again, it, it he was able to use it to his advantage. 
Now, the, the northern regions of the country had relied on rice being shipped from the south for a long time. And then in 1944, a combination of things happened. Um, there, was, there was typhoons. There was also drought uh, in different areas. There yeah. were insect plagues. There were allied bombings. And then there was the combination of French and Japanese policies that had all culminated in meaning the south of the country, Cochin, China, where they had all of the great agricultural regions, couldn't produce enough rice for the rest of the country. The Japanese had mandated shipments of rice to Japan. Mm -hmm. They'd ordered farmers in the north to shift their crops from rice to oil seeds, peanuts, cotton and jute. Do you know what jute is, Ray? No. No. What is it? I had to look it up. I was not familiar with jute. It's the fibre, the plant, from which you get the fibre that's used to make burlap or hessian or gunny cloth. Mm. I didn't hessian know. bags? Yeah. No, hessian bag, yeah. Made of jute. Oh, wow. Comes up with this really stringy fibre. Anyway, the, the French and the Japanese, like the British in mm. India had been stockpiling food for white people and Japanese people um, right. and, and allowing the native population to starve. To death. And, and see, what, what made it worse, when I was reading that section, and again, sorry, it's coming out of a book, but the more problems they had with famine, and, and this makes sense from a certain point of view, the more the French and then later the Japanese would go, well, we need more food. So they actually increased their quota and, and made these made sure these people met it because they wanted to make sure they were taking care of their, of their own back home. So again, as bad as this is, by the time of fall of 1944, when there's this massive flooding that is wiping out their 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 crops for that season, I mean, it's just getting worse. But but like you said, the Japanese are hoarding it, and people will just start literally dropping on sides of the street, dying over time from starvation. Entire families. Yeah, and and during the the period when the crops were failing um, or being uh, extracted from the country, mm -hmm. the French, who were still in power at the time for a lot of this, uh, refused to reduce taxes, right, and also refused to increase the price of the ah. quotas of rice that were assigned to each farmer to sell to the government. Yeah, they're like, no, we're not paying you more money. Yeah. And but and we're not going to reduce your taxes. Just just I don't know. Work yeah. it out, bitches. <laughs> um, not my problem. And it costs so, it costs even more now because, like you said, the roads and bridges and railways have been bombed by the Allies. So it costs more to get it to the north. You don't raise the prices. That cuts my profit margins. I'm really sorry for those people in the north, but now I'm less inclined to send my wares north because I'm going to make less money. And, of course, as the supply of rice dropped, the supply levels dropped, the price went up, supply mm -hmm. and demand, and people who you know, weren't the wealthiest people, these people were, were oppressed and yeah. poor, couldn't afford it anyway. Right. So why am I going to send it to you? But you can't afford it anyway, so I'm going to go sell it to the people that have got the most money, the, the yeah. wealthier uh, people who are the collaborators, you know, those right. sorts of people. Um, are always the wealthiest in colonial countries, um, yeah, basically a collaborator. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it was a disaster. Farmers tried to switch to other crops like sweet potatoes, but it yeah. didn't help. It was too, too little, late. too late. Exactly. Millions 
of Vietnamese died in the Jeez. famine of 44, 45. Right. Streets were littered with corpses. Uh, ox carts were filled with corpses. In a lot of cases, the people were so weak that they couldn't even remove the, pe- the family members who died. Right. The rest of the family were too weak to even pick them up and Jeez. get them out of the house. So corpses just lay there festering. Flies, germs, right. worms, and maggots. Yeah, and and as yeah. you as you can imagine, dogs and rats started disappearing because you, people are eating whatever they can. And I I don't know this for sure, but I think there was uh, episodes of uh, cannibalism. Children were sold for uh, just a little bit of food. So again, this was just. I mean, as bad as it has been for these people since the French have been here, this is probably just the worst it could possibly be. And even when the Japanese take over, they don't slacken up on these people at all. At all. So again, um, Ho uses this to say, look, look, I've been telling you this. The French nor the Japanese are not only capable of taking care of you, they don't even try. They don't even want to. We need something different. We need to, you know, seize the reins ourselves. That is the only way we can ever stop this kind of suffering. And you get the feeling that this these famines to different degrees, have have been happening over the years. And so this is nothing new. It's just really, really a bad episode at this particular time in late 44, early 45. Parents were selling their children yeah. for a few cups of rice, knowing that yeah. their children were probably going to be eaten. Yeah. And you're only going to eat you're for like, a couple of days. So, Fuck. You're like, listen, I can't bring myself to eat my own child. Right. But um, uh, you give me rice, you can take my child and eat my child. Mm-hmm. I can make more children if I survive this. Right. What would what would um, what would it take for you to sell? I, was, I mean, if, if yeah. you had to sell one of your children, yeah, uh, uh, to be cannibalized. Right. Well, let's just be honest. It's Sophie. Um, how much would you want for? <laughs> I would want a lot. I would ask for a lot. I would, I would point out, you know, she's very strong. I mean, it'd be very good eating, but the point <laughs> is she is such a, if I can use an Australian uh, metaphor, a Tasmanian devil from the cartoons when I was a kid, I would literally take their money, get a comfortable seat, sit down, hand her over and then watch her whip the shit out of everybody. <laughs> And then I would eat them, take all their money, move on to the next town. That's exactly yeah. what I would be the, the fattest Sof- poor person there and during a famine you'd ever met. The Sophie scam. That's right. Yeah. Don't she, fuck we should, with Sophie. We should make that into a movie. That would be a great movie. <laughs> she's, like, she's like hit girl in Kick-Ass. They, they go to eat her and she pulls out a samurai sword, hacks them to pieces, brings... Puts all the pieces into a wheelbarrow, right. wheels it back to you. Yeah. Puts it on a board with and some garnish. Here you are, Father. Yeah. 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 Oh. And you just you go from village to village. <laughs> but we only we only do it to the bad people because we have that moral code. I don't care. I would do it to anybody. I'm making that. Well, up. yeah. No, but you know the very fact that they're willing to buy sure. your child and in order it. to eat yeah. her that makes them bad. I, <laughs> I guess I don't know. Anyway, don't fuck, desperate. Don't fuck with someone. Anyway, we're making light of, of a terrible thing, yeah, as we do. Yeah. Um, there's a guy called Dong Tu Chi who was uh, a provincial official mm-hmm. in Nam Din, a city in the Red River Delta up in the north of the country. He said he made sure not to eat in restaurants Ooh. or stalls when right. he travelled 
during the area during this time because uh, he worried that the meat they were serving might be rat or yeah. human flesh. Fuck. Did you read um, <clears throat> that one French observer um, talking about the policies of the famine? I didn't want to jump ahead of you if you were about to uh, to read that. Yeah, I was, but go ahead. Okay, no, he ju- just that he wrote, uh, you know, c- in regards to his country's policies uh, dealing with the famine. And again, these famines have happened before. He just notes that from looking at these bodies, which are shriveled up on roadsides with only a handful of straw for clothes, as well as for the as well as for their uh, burial burial garment, one feels ashamed to be human. So he's looking at these people. Not only are they starving to death, but they're almost naked. They have got literally rags on their bodies, and that's because of the French policies, too. I, w- I wonder why he, he didn't say, it. I'm ashamed to be French, as opposed to ashamed of being human, but the point is, for these people, it cannot get any worse for them. I can answer that. It's because from the perspective of a French person, right. only the French are human. Mm. Everyone else is mm-hmm. subhuman, if you're not French. Gotcha. That sounds yeah. right, yeah. Um... In May of 1945, as the famine started to wind down, mm-hmm. uh, they started to try and put together some statistics, uh, various officials, right. about how many people had died up until that point. Um, in Tonkin, up in the north, they initially declared that 380,968, wait, nine, another one just fell, right. had died by starvation. But a year later... Those mm. estimates went up to a million in Tonkin alone and another 300,000 in Annam. Right. And then in later years, as they did more and more uh, studies on it, they the official estimates uh, from the Vietnamese government went up to 2 million deaths in a five-month period Jeez. in 1945. Right. 2 million people. Um, now, even if we take the lower figure of a million in Tonkin, that would mean 10% of the population in that region had died of starvation in less than six months. Right. Jeez. I'm I'm just going to say real quick, I'm sorry, just for comparison's sake, anybody who knows anything, the very basics of World War II, they can quote you the six million Jews from from Hitler's final solution. They could probably tell you roughly 20 million people um, for the Soviet uh, Union that died between the war and Stalin's policies, where here is at least a million people, probably two million people that died within half of a year. I mean, in this very forgotten part of the world, especially with the giants fighting each other, World War II, I mean, there is massive suffering going on, and you have to blame the the, the, the French for most of it. Yeah. yeah. The French and, and the Japanese as well, but right. the French obviously had been the colonial power there for, you know, nigh on 100 years. Yeah. Uh, the population of Vietnam at the time is estimated to be around 23, 24 million people. So Damn. losing a couple of million people, that's about the... It's about the population of Australia, a little bit less than now, but losing a couple of million people, it would be like losing Brisbane, the right. entire population of Brisbane out of the population of Australia. Yeah. Gone in six months, just disappeared. Um, that's, a big, that's a big thing. You know, we've talked about this before when I'm talking about the Soviets. Um, but, you know, when you, when you lose millions of people in a short period of time, men, women and children... Mm-hmm. 
Um, the impact that that has on a people economically as well as emotionally and psychologically, right. it has to have been devastating for decades to come. It would it takes generation or two to recover from that, mm-hmm. um, and you know I think that there's a lot of um, the implications of that you can see in the struggles of people um, socially and economically um, in the fifties and sixties, trying to recover from that. Um, you know, the British lost 400,000, I think. The Americans lost 400,000, mm-hmm. give or take, I think we said in World right. War II. Um, Vietnamese lost millions. The, 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 and it's not the a war. Russians lost millions, 20 million. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah well, not, well, it is. I mean, it's uh, not casualties well, yeah. of war, but like directly. But I mean, that's just staggering. That's just, and here, here's the other part. I'll let you get back to it, but you can never, because of what we're talking about here, you can never separate politics from all of this. So as all this is going on and as everybody's pointing fingers at everybody else, the, uh, you know, the, the emperor appointed by Japan, uh, Mao Dai and his ministers, they just know that at the end of the day, because now uh, they're in charge through, and because of the Japanese, they're going to get blamed for this. So again, politics is all wrapped up in all of this, which is exactly what Ho is trying to deal with. But we're not allowed to talk about politics on our show, Ray, no. because it upsets people. Well, fuck. Then what are we doing here? Delicate little snowflowers. <laughs> snowflowers? Snowflakes. Snowflakes. Get, yeah. up, get upset yeah. by hearing us talk politics. Yeah. Yeah, no. You mentioned the um, the number of Jews who died in World War Two. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, is it just me, or do we hear more about that, or the Holodomor famine under Stalin um, than we do, or the, the famines in China under the communists than we do about? The Vietnamese, the millions of Vietnamese who died mm-hmm. under the French, or the the famines in India under Churchill, yeah. we've talked about before, the Bengal famine of nineteen forty three, when two to three million people died, um, or the famines in China under Chiang Kai Shek, yeah, before the communists, the five year plans um, or whatever they had, yeah, the, the great. No, yeah. no, it was no, that not was, Chiang Kai Shek. That was Mao. Sorry, I apologize. I'm getting my Chinese. No, but there up. were. There were famines in China before mm-hmm. the communists took power, mm-hmm. but you know, I think they lost. Yeah. I think they lost like twenty million people um, to in famines during the period when Chiang Kai Shek was in power. Yeah, and again, the impact of that, the socioeconomic impact of that on the country, has takes decades to overcome. Right. Um, you know, when when you have millions of uh, people just pulled out of your society, um, it, it then yeah, the the ability for the country to recover economically mm-hmm. is massive, massive when something yeah. like that happens. Well, j- just to, if I could, just real quick, just to make your point even further, I've been reading about World War II since I was fourteen years old, and I didn't know about the policies of Churchill which caused um, millions of Indians to die of starvation. I didn't know about that until my 30s. So it's like our everybody who's on our side is good. They don't do anything wrong, so we're not going to write about it. If you want to find out something bad about 
the people on our team, you're going to have to dig for it. And so you, I, I think you're absolutely right. Some stuff gets blown out of, not out of proportion, but some stuff gets focused on, well, the people on our team are generally good guys and we're going to kind of, you know, not cover up, but just not mention the bad things or the mistakes that they made. Happens all the mm. time. Yeah. Mm. I think so. That's been my take on history is a lot of that yeah. stuff is – is hidden, and that is propaganda. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you want to, if you want to use that word uh, correctly, you're killing when you, me. When you when you don't talk about right certain things, it's um, yeah, it's yeah. it's propaganda. You're, you're, it's, you're, it's not it's not hidden. Like you can find out about yeah. this stuff, but as you say, you got to dig hard. Right. You got to take the effort to to dig it up and and find it. It has been. Um, whitewashed, or, mm-hmm. or they just—it's it's the same with the you know the the civilians who were killed in um, Japan by the atomic bombs, um, right? And the the brutality of that just doesn't get talked about. And we know in that case, you know, the footage that we talked about it literally got confiscated, confiscated by the U.S. Exactly. government and, and hidden away for decades. Yeah, that is that is the propaganda that we live in, part of the propaganda that we live in in the West that yeah. I think most people not only aren't familiar with, uh, aren't cognizant of, um, but when you point it out to them, they are disbelieving usually. No, yeah. that, that doesn't happen in the West. That doesn't sound right. Yeah. 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 And, and that in and of itself is the result of a lifetime of propaganda, believing that our countries right. would never do so. The governments of our countries would never do such a thing, yeah. never hide information from us or well, downplay certain kinds of information. Absolutely. But one of the things, and there are many, but one of the things I will never forget uh, as we've been doing these shows was that um, because the United States kind of covered up, we, we, we confiscated all the footage, we sent our own troops into that area, you know, relatively soon after because we were told or they were told, no, it's safe now. So, of course, a lot of them are going to get sick. It might take a while. It might take uh, decades when they get, uh, is it leukemia? I can't remember exactly now. But, uh, yeah, so so we covered it up so well. We sent our own people into this into this um, hot zone that we should not. We, we end up killing our own people because we cover things up. There's, that, that will just, I will never forget that. So, anywho, mm-hmm. um, yeah, the um, tragic famine um, was a boon for Ho and the Viet Minh because nobody could argue with them now yeah. that the French and the Japanese were only interested in looking out for themselves. Yeah. Now, at various points, the ICP... Um, the Communist Party of the Vietnam uh, of the Viet Minh um, were helping people around the Red River Delta area break into grain warehouses, mm-hmm. and, and this is again part of their um, awareness building campaign. They would help people break into these warehouses, get food. They developed a reputation right. of being for the people, and this is where Vonian Giap first came to prominence because he was the leader of the military division of the Viet Minh. And um, I wanted to talk a little bit about Giap because he's obviously just as an important uh, uh, a player mm-hmm. in this whole story as Ho Chi Minh. Okay. 
Uh, well, Jap, if you've never heard of him before, and, and I think a lot of people in the West who haven't studied this period probably aren't. They probably heard the name Ho Chi Minh. Right. Um, probably because they saw Good Morning Vietnam. Um but they may not be familiar with Jiat. Now, he was known as the Red Napoleon, mm. um, one of the greatest military strategists of the 20th century. Wow. Um, quite a bit younger than Ho, about 20 years younger. He was 34 or 35 at this stage. No previous military experience. <laughs> he's a natural. By tr- right. Well, he's, he's a student of history, like mm. us, Ray. He, right. he, was a, he was a history teacher, I should say, like you. Right. Maybe you are the... I'm a great general. You are the midget Napoleon, we will call <laughs> you. Oh. Thank you. The bubble boy <laughs> Napoleon of Virginia. Okay. He was a history teacher. <laughs> right, right. But his maternal grandfather had been involved in the resistance movement against the French in the 1880s. Jap himself got expelled from school in 1927 mm. um, for being part of uh, sort of activist movements. And he went and joined the Tan Viet Party, but eventually shifted over to the ICP. Then he was arrested for taking part in student demonstrations during uh, one of the revolts in the late 20s. Spends five or six years in prison, is released in 1933, Mm -hmm. goes back to school um, and eventually gets a law degree from the University of Hanoi, can't get any work as a lawyer, so he ends up getting a job as a history teacher at a private school right. in Hanoi. Right. Now, when the ICP was outlawed by the French in 1940, mm-hmm. he went into exile in China, and this is where he met Ho. Ah. According to his own memoirs, um, he had been instructed, Jap this is, to leave Hanoi by uh, Huang Van Tu, who was a... Uh, another young party member who was on the Central Committee in 1938. Tu and Jap had talked a lot about uh, sort of military strategies and the potential of using guerrilla warfare against the French. They'd, they'd sort of read about what Mao was doing in China. There was also a tradition in Vietnam of guerrilla-style tactics going way back into sort of the, the antiquity period of Vietnam. Um, and so they sort of decided that that was going to be their 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 only um, their, their 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 strategy guerrilla. I mean, of course, you know, I think in the West um, again we've kind of grown up hearing stories, particularly in American media, of guerrilla tactics by the Vietnamese during the Vietnam War, mm-hmm. and and. It's depicted, I think, as as being sneaky and ungentlemanly. Right. Exactly. exactly. It's a bit like um, uh, terrorist attacks. Mm-hmm. Um, take take 9-11 um, the attacks in the US or bombings or whatever it is. They get depicted in the media as cowardly and um, um, sneaky, right. uh, whatever. Why don't you face me like but, a man? Yeah. Exactly, but of course, these the, when you're a small, scrappy um, liberation force mm-hmm. with without a big army, um, you, you you don't have any options. You can't yeah. meet right. a, a big army 
toe-to-toe, head-to-head. You just can't do it. You don't have the resources. All you can do is apply non-standard military tactics. All you can do is adopt guerrilla yeah. Tactics. That's, that's left up to you. Be sneaky, sneak yeah. around, yeah, or, or fly planes into buildings um, yeah. or, or, or detonate bombs in civilian populations to try and scare the people into changing the government's policies. Mm. Uh, that's, that's all you have available to you. Yeah. So we shouldn't see guerrilla tactics as ungentlemanly forms of warfare it's 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 desperation really is what it is all we've got available to us is to pop up out of holes in the middle of the night come in and cut your throats while you're sleeping right Thanks, and we'll dream about that tonight. Yeah, so Ho's only got America to rely on, and that's the only way they got to fight. If I could just add this on to the the famine part real quick. So Ho's propaganda machine is going along pretty well. And another indication of that is some of the granaries that are forced open and when the, the food, the rice is passed out to people, sometimes the, the Viet Minh have nothing to do with it. It's like a genuine grassroots roots movement. These people are just desperate. But because they're helping people, because they're making statements, um, they actually get credit for all of these times, even when they weren't involved. So the people are taking care of themselves. But because everyone thinks that the only ones who are doing anything to help them are the Viet Minh, that they get credit for all the, these instances. And again, whatever Ho's got going on with his, his, his doctrine, his propaganda, he's putting out the word, it is, it is working. He is building mass support from the people. And, and this is just another indication of that. Can I get back to my jet yeah. biography oh, now, I, or do you I, just want to keep just, interrupting me I and just going to stick off in different directions? And, wow. Yeah. I apologize. Yeah. Can I finish now? Please. Thank you. How many times have you said that? So, <laughs> can I finish on your chest or your back? Um, so, Jap, <laughs> G-I-A-P, if, if, for people, if they think I'm saying J-A-P. No, right. he's not that kind of Jap. Right. Uh, I think it's pronounced Jap. I looked it up. Um, as with everything, take our fucking pronunciations right. of Vietnamese names with a grain of salt, people, Please. of course. You know, but you know that by now. Yeah. If you've listened to this. Don't. But then again, you should know that I'm not a racist it's either. Right. But fucking some, some people, apparently. Yeah. yeah. Some people, a uh, bit dense, a bit no one, thick. No one should be allowed to write to us with any kind of criticism until they go back and they listen to every single show of every single series. Then they'll know what they're <laughs> dealing with. Then come at us. Listen. I've had sex with Asian women. I've had sex with black women. Right, Russians. Uh, I've even I even have sex with an American right now. So yeah. Listen, I right now. Uh, oh, you well, mean general? General. <laughs> you, you, in this period of my life, right. I you know I I'll, I that's I like not a racist all, people. No, yeah, yeah. His penis yeah. is not yeah. racist. <laughs> no, nor is the rest of him. That's the point I'm trying to make. Oh, yeah. God. Do you want my help anymore? Any... No. No, thanks. No. no, no. You've done enough, <laughs> double boy. Sorry. So he decides he's going to go to China and prepare for guerrilla warfare. Now, in uh, May of that year, 1940, he finishes his last class at the private school where he's teaching, says goodbye to his young wife and infant daughter. They agree that they're going to come and join him in China. Sorry, she was going to go and join him in China once she could get someone to look after the child. Wow. 
and they would never meet again. His wife stayed behind, was arrested because they knew he was a revolutionary. She was arrested, sentenced to 15 years. His daughter was also put into the prison. Right. Um, and he found out later that they both died in prison. Jeez. Anyway, he goes to China. He meets up with Ho for the first time, and then he is one of the small group that goes back to Vietnam with Ho to build the Liberation Army. Uh, That is when he found out that his wife had been beaten to death by guards in the main prison in Hanoi. Jesus. He also found out that his sister had been arrested and guillotined by the French. Right. Thanks, French. This is this is all by the French, by the way. Uh, um, and his daughter died in prison of unknown causes. Jeez. And he's, again, he, yeah. he's in his early 30s, but early he, to mid-30s when he finds all this out. But he's the radical. Sure. Yeah. 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 But but like now but like, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I apologize. I, stop fucking I'm interrupting sorry, me, Mr. Sensen. I will tell you when you can okay, talk. All right. I'll ring a bell. Okay. <laughs> now, when the Vietnamese Liberation Army was created, the VLA in September of 1944, Giap was its commander. Again, no military experience. Right. Like Ho. Right. No military experience whatsoever. They're not ex-army, anything like that. They haven't been trained. They haven't gone to the exactly you know, the American training camps. Yeah. Um, they they are just uh, people raw raw revolutionaries that have read books about military tactics. That's right. a, that's all they yeah. all they know. And they probably have family members who are dead from the famine. So they're well motivated, but they don't know what they're doing. Or from being beaten to death but by exactly. prison guards. Absolutely. For doing nothing. For being married to a guy who's a revolutionary. Right. Um, so Ho directed him to establish the armed propaganda brigades. Mm-hmm. Again, Ho believed that part of their job at this stage is propaganda. There's going to be some military activity, but it's propaganda as well. And and the armed activity is also part of the propaganda, as we'll see. So the first armed propaganda brigade was 31 men and three women formed in December of 1944. They had like seven guns between them, a couple of knives and some pointy sticks. Um, Yeah, bad, yeah, mean stare. (laughs) That's... That's all they had. And that's, you know, I love these stories, and I know I've I've mentioned this before and I'm going to mention it again many times, like um, Fidel. When Fidel and Che landed in Cuba, right. they had, uh, I think it was like, for memory, uh, 80 guys uh, on a boat that were going to overthrow the army of Batista. Um, the The landing was a disaster. Most of the men were killed or captured immediately uh, when they got off the boat. And I think he had 22 guys that survived the landing. And they were going to overthrow an army, 10,000 men in Batista's army, supported by the United States. They were like, yeah, we can do it. We got them. Fidel, anyway, the rest of them were like, what the fuck, (laughs) we're done for. Fidel's like, no. We can take them. 
Yeah. Yeah, we can take them with our 22 guys. They had no guns. They'd lost all their guns in the, in the, in the shipwreck. Right. They'd been captured. Come they had on. nothing. They were like, nah, that yeah. doesn't matter. What we have is belief. We believe right. we can do it. We have faith. Fidel had faith in himself. Right. You know, it was Thanksgiving, and he said, I'm thankful <laughs> for the fact that I believe right. I can get this done. Yes. Oh, my God. But but like you said, I mean, this new army, they're, they're, they're combining with other units, whatever. And like you said, they still don't have a lot of people. Uh, they still have a long way to go, but it's the beginning of something. And, it, and it's just one of those of many in human history of these small but committed bands that are going to change the world. They're going to change things in, in the, their country. But in late 1944, barely enough people to do anything. And they certainly don't have as many um, guns as they do people. They've got a long way to go, but they're committed. Yeah, so uh, do you know the name of that first uh, platoon? No, tell me. Name of the first platoon of the VLA was the Tran Hong Dao Platoon. Mm -hmm. You know who who it was named after, Tran Hong Dao? No, who's that? He was uh, a, a legendary uh, Vietnamese hero from the 13th century who repelled not one, not two, but three Mongol invasions. Damn. Oh, that's right. When they came through. Okay. Fuck me. That's, Again, yeah, with a pointy, pointy stick and a stare, <laughs> he uh, you sure the Mongols scared weren't the Mongols. Uh, right? right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Um, So they named it after him. Uh, They literally had two revolvers, 17 rifles, one light machine gun, and 14 breech-loading flintocks, which dated from the Russo-Japanese War. Oh, my God. But a can-do attitude. Yeah. Now, Ho's advice to Jiap was secrecy. Always secrecy. Mm-hmm. Let the enemy think you're to the west when you're in the east. Attack by surprise and retreat before the enemy can respond. Nice. Sounds like Sun Tzu, but yeah. It does sound like Sun Tzu. I'm yeah. pretty sure Ho uh, and Jiao were both big students right. of right. <laughs> Sun Tzu. Yeah. But that, attack by surprise and retreat before the enemy can respond. From, from the very get-go, they realized yeah. that uh, guerrilla warfare was what it was all going to be about for them. That's how a scrappy band of uh, 31 men and three women with a handful of 19th century guns wow. are going to um, try and overthrow not just the French, not just the Japanese, but as we'll see, eventually the mighty Americans. Right. I think that's where we should wrap it up today, right. buddy. Sounds good. That's the end of um, episode 100. I would finish with a review, but uh, we received a couple of negative ones, mostly about, you know, Cameron's a racist or Cameron talks politics or Cameron fucking tells Cameron. too many jokes. I don't know. But uh, so I fucking I said, fuck it. Not reading any right. reviews this week. Okay. Fuck these guys. Because you get the power. That's all right. Okay. No, I'm just like, how, how are you supposed to do a Cold War show and not talk about politics is beyond me? Or do they mean modern politics? But it's all connected. It's all happened over and over again. So you have to talk about politics. We'll be back 
regardless of reviews, uh, <laughs> next week um, with more on Ho Chi Minh, Jiap, and the uh, Viet Minh.